Revelation 15:1-4 பின்பு வானத்திலே பெரிதும் ஆச்சரியமான வேறொரு அடையாளமாகிய கடைசியான ஏழு வாதிகளுடைய ஏழு தூதர்களை கண்டேன் அவைகளால் தேவனுடைய கோபம் முடிகிறது அன்றையும் அக்கினி கலந்த கண்ணாடி கடல் போன்ற ஒரு கடலையும் மிருகத்திற்கும் அதன் சொரூபத்திற்கும் அதன் முத்திரைக்கும் அதன் நாமத்தின் இலக்கத்திற்கும் உள்ளாக்காமல் ஜெயம் கொண்டவர்கள் தேவ சுரமண்டலங்களை பிடித்து கொண்டு அந்த கண்ணாடி கடல் அருகே நிற்கிறதையும் கண்டேன் அவர்கள் தேவனுடைய ஊழியக்காரனாகிய மோசேயின் பாட்டையும் ஆட்டுக்குட்டியானவருடைய பாட்டையும் பாடி சர்வ வல்லமையுள்ள தேவனாகிய கர்த்தாவே தேவருடைய கிரியைகள் மகத்துவமும் ஆச்சரியமுமானவைகள் பரிசுத்தவான்களின் ராஜாவே தேவருடைய வழிகள் நீதியும் சத்தியமுமானவைகள் கர்த்தாவே யார் உமக்கு பயப்படாமலும் உமது நாமத்தை மகிமைப்படுத்தாமலும் இருக்கலாம் தேவரீர் ஒருவரே பரிசுத்தர் எல்லா ஜாதிகளும் வந்து உமக்கு முன்பாக தொழுது கொள்வார்கள் உம்முடைய நீதியான செயல்கள் வெளியரங்கமாயின என்றார்கள் If you would turn in your Bibles to Revelation 12, Revelation 12, and we will be in a, a few chapters today, 12, 13, 14, and then just a snippet from 15, I believe. Um, today is uh, another really just exciting time to be studying in this book. the book of revelation if this is your first time with us during this series or maybe first time at all certainly want to welcome you in that regard i want to give you a heads up that if this is your first time uh during this series you need to know that um we are we're, even as you just heard trying to cover three chapters at a time uh on a day like today makes it hard to cover all of the details that you might wish to learn about the book of revelation being such a a curious book or a book that just uh brings out curiosity in our mind but i want to to remind you all of this as i said i would be doing this each time but to remind us of of how we understand revelation so it's this that the book of revelation is a series of apocalyptic visions intended to make known the clear promise of Christ's coming return and eternal reign as a means to offer hope expect obedience and inspire worship this is why we come back to this book over and over in fact uh as as god clearly uh or to me very clearly has brought us now through almost all of scripture in a two year time period um to to get to revelation which again was planned long before a uh a pandemic happened but just just to get to this when there is such turmoil around the world and to to get here to know that this is really designed for hope right the word of god is intended to offer us hope that if you're here today and you're a, you're a guest somebody brought you with them and and you are, you're struggling you're hurting life is hard or difficult i want you to know that what you can hear today is that there is hope in jesus christ there is a there is something better 
offered to you than whatever this world has to offer. And in fact, if you're here today and things are going swimmingly for you, right? You're, I mean, everything's just great. Marriage is great. Kids are great. Job is great. Uh, like all things about you right now are great. That's great. <laughs> but even greater still is what is found in Christ Jesus. No matter how bad it is, there is hope in Christ. And no matter how good you have it, there is something better in Jesus. And we will see this in this text today. As I just mentioned, there is lots of turmoil around us, but we need to remember that, that we live in wartime, not in peacetime. John Piper says it pretty simply, life is war. My friend Randy Cress and I talk about this often, this reality of the war that is all the time around us. And so if we live as though we are at peace time, we will quickly be in chaos. It's key for us to remember that wartime mentality is apparent in this text in particular. The idea is not that we could come to church just to have an escape from the world, but that we would come to be better equipped to combat the enemy of the world. See, we gather together, not just so we can escape it, but so that we can be better prepared to go back into it. We're going to look at, at uh, several different times that John says, I saw or I looked. Some might call each of these different visions but it's similar to how we have talked about looking through different windows along the way. We've talked about that several times. But as we look through each one of these windows today, even when it gets a little confusing and challenging, I, I pray that, um, that you and I both, that we will recall that the battle we fight is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and principalities of this dark world. Not only has the Lord graciously given us an armor that we find in Ephesians chapter 6 to wear to fight in this battle, here's the great news, church. He has already won the war. Church in America often struggles uh, with the concept of the supernatural. That's not something we spend a lot of time talking about, or maybe sometimes we say we don't even really want to talk about it. But I, I, I want to encourage you to keep it in mind, not just today, but even throughout your week. So before we even get into the text, I want to remind you that these uh, events are not necessarily chronological Right? We've talked about this several times, but they're cyclical in nature. And therefore, it is as though the curtain is being pulled back and we are peering in as like, just a one taking, see what is taking place behind that curtain. So maybe even think of it like getting to see the other side of our physical struggle or our emotional turmoil or our mental strain. We're getting to see the other side of it. So in light of the battle that we are fighting even right now, let's dive in. And the, the first point 
is so good. Not because I wrote it, but just because it's true. <laughs> Satan is already and actively defeated. David Platt sums up chapter 12, saying Satan has been conquered by Christ the Savior and is being conquered by Christians as they suffer. See, these few chapters come with a, a few characters in them that will be helpful. So, so some of you uh, have been following along in our Bible reading plan, and so earlier this week, you already read chapter 12, and then 13, and then 14, and so you, you have kind of, if you read that, you were like, okay, there is some like beasts, and a dragon, and a woman, and a child, like, what all is this? And so let's look at these three main characters that we'll find in this text. The three characters. The first one is the woman, right? Chapter 12. Go to the first couple verses. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. So like many other portions of Revelation, there are many options for who this woman might be, might actually be or be representing. Catholics believe that this is Mary. Some believe that this is a representation of the nation of Israel. Others, which would probably uh, certainly include myself, hold to the idea that she represents the people of God from the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? However, then you get to the second character, the child, right? Verse two, she's pregnant and was crying out with birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And in verse five, she gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was called up to God and to his throne. This is uh, a reference to Christ, to the Christ, the promised one. Then we get to this third character, right? So, so far we've seen the woman, then the child, and now we see the dragon. Verse three, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and on his head, seven diadems. Then in verse nine, still in chapter 12, the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Let me tell you what I like about this so much. It tells you who the dragon is. Right, there's all this other stuff where we're like, it could be this, could be this. Some people think it's this. <laughs> nope, not this one. We know because Jesus tells John, John tells us, the dragon is Satan. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So much would be easier if you just told us all of that, right? There's along the way, tell, but in this case, so thankful that he makes that very clear. The dragon, which maybe we would have interpreted or maybe we would have understood that, but in this case, so thankful for that clarity. So we have woman and child and a dragon. So there are three characters all under this, right? Satan is already inactively defeated. There's, there's three characters and there are three victories. Three victories. Right? This, this child is referring to Jesus and so the Christ 
A victory in itself is Jesus' birth. When we get to Christmas time, I don't know that we, I, I know I don't uh, regularly. I hope I do this Christmas, but I don't always look at, at Christmas as a point of victory. But this was a promise that had been made, right? That he was going to come. This is victory on display, right? So look at uh, chapter 12, verse five. So she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was called up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. But, but think about this. So, so there's a child coming, right? That came, but think about how long it's been since that was told it was coming. Genesis 3. You go back to, to Genesis 3 and the fall happens, right? Adam and Eve sin, they, and then they lie about it. And then God is pouring out judgment. And in, in verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He also offers this punishment to the woman that she will have pain in bringing forth children. There's the pains of childbirth, but there's the promise of Christ in those two verses. That he's, He's coming. Then we, we see from then on, Satan is attempting to blot that out. I mean, the very next chapter, Genesis 4, Satan attempts to stop the seed with murder. Then you have just a couple chapters later, this barrenness and infertility with Abraham and Sarah and then others. But the promise still moves on. Even in, in thinking about the story of Joseph, and how, how God protected Joseph in such a way that ultimately he was able to protect his dad and his brothers and the 12 tribes and all of that comes from that, that over and over. Then David was spared from Saul, which kept the line going. Joash kept the line going by, behind Jezebel's back. And Isaiah 7 and 9 remind us that there is a child coming. There's prophets again saying there's someone who is to come. Side note, this will be our focus this December. We'll be focusing on the very mission of Christmas. Thinking about uh, in, in the, those four names that uh, Isaiah speaks of, uh, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, we will focus on those over the, the course of the month. And we have a, a book, uh, like an Advent book, a daily guide that will uh, be out uh, at the end of November. And we uh, are excited to say that we hope each of you will get that and participate with us as a church family as we day by day are uh, intensely focusing on these ideas, the mission of Christmas and, and how victory is won. So you, so you see it even in the prophets. Then you even think about things like Esther. The people of Israel were almost blotted out. Repeatedly, though, Satan loses those battles. 
Like just, just imagine reading the Old Testament that way. And maybe, you're, maybe this is eye-opening to you that, that when you read the Old Testament over and over and over, when we see miracle happening, that's Satan losing again. Cross the Red Sea, miracle, huh? Victory. Right? Like over and over and over. The Battle of Jericho, that's, of course, we say, oh, that one's a victory, but this is a loss for Satan, for the enemy loses again. Like, uh, we joke sometimes about college affiliation and who wins and who loses and, and how you feel the day after your team wins or loses or whatever, but can you imagine? Like, he just loses all the time. Like, how miserable would that be? So, so the birth of Jesus is yet again another victory for the good guys. Just his birth, not to mention then, number two, his death. Look at verse 11. They've conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. The blood of the lamb, the spilled blood of the lamb comes because he died. Colossians remind us that he nailed it to the cross, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. How did he triumph? He died. You would think that in that moment, Jesus thinks he's won. I'm not Jesus. Satan thinks he's won because Jesus did win, right? Satan, Satan would have would have thought, oh, that was it. Took him out. But his death provides for all of us the opportunity to know Christ, to know the Father. So, so his birth, his death, and his resurrection, because his resurrection proves that his death did the job. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Jesus resurrected. Verse 10, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ, his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers have been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God. Catch this. Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a sinless life, died for your sin, for my sin, defeated the grave so that you and I could live in victory for all eternity. That's what's been offered to you. And again, I don't know what brings you here today, what, what, what invitation has brought you here today, but I'm telling you, this is what we're seeing in this very text today, that there is a way for you to be in victory forever. The option, the other option is not a very good one. It's not just losing a game. It's eternity in hell. If Jesus has already won, maybe you're asking yourself this, which I know I did, as I was thinking, well, why do I still struggle? Right? Like, why do we come in here and why do we need a, a pep talk every week if we've already won? there's still a battle raging. Even in verse 15, this 
river of water floods a woman by. But, but take heart, because you're going to make it through this victoriously. Think about this. There have been many wars in the world, right? And think about those. But oftentimes, those wars are surrendered even though the war still goes on. Like communication doesn't get to everybody in time. Even World War I was surrendered November 11th, 1918. So like supposed to be over. But the, the signed peace document didn't happen until June 28th of 1919. And men were still in battle. Like people were still dying in 1920. So almost two whole years, war, like, Country surrendered, two years later, finally, last battle fought. Of course, this is not just a completely fair analogy, but I think you get the idea, right? Yes, Jesus has died and risen again, but we're in that in-between spot. And this is why Satan is actively and already defeated. He is defeated every time a brother in Somalia is martyred for his faith. Satan is defeated every time a sister in India is abandoned by her faith for proclaiming Christ. Satan is defeated every time you or I stand boldly and proclaim Christ, making Christ known at your workplace or in your neighborhood. Satan loses every single time because Christ has one. Okay, I got to speed up. Uh, so Satan, Satan is also authorized to act, but is not the ultimate authority. He's authorized to act, but he is not the ultimate authority. Chapter 13 refers to a beast, right? Chapter 13, verse 1, and I saw, right? There's another one of those I saw. A beast rising out of the sea, ten horns, seven heads, like None of these sound very pleasant to look at, right? This beast might have been thought by, by those even at that time that this would have been the Roman Empire, or maybe it was even Nero. Some today even associate this beast with what they would call the Antichrist. And I, I find myself, though, not wanting to limit this beast to a particular person, but instead, uh, I like how one author put it, that throughout the history of the church, from the resurrection to the return of Christ, there have been and will continue to be governments and leaders, systems and structures that the devil uses to oppress the church and deceive the world. That doesn't necessarily rule out a specific person or an empire or even a specific antichrist or man of lawlessness to come in the days ahead. But the overall point is that Satan works through government that functions as divine authority instead of, instead of under divine authority. See, in this picture, we see that, that God allows a cursing crush. In chapter 13, look at, look at uh, verse 5. The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, 
It was allowed to exercise, it was allowed, right, to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language. This is a pretty cursing crush. What's being allowed here from the Lord. But there's also this reality that God assumes a comforting call. And keep going in that passage, you get to verse eight, and it says, all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life, the lamb who was slain, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Why would that be a comforting call? Why would I call it that? Because what's happening is we're being reminded that even if we go to our death, this is a call to endurance. Press on. Hold, hold on. Cling to what is true. See, Satan is authorized to act, but nothing happens apart from the allowance of God. Satan is alluring, but is absolutely appalling. He does a good job of, of trying to convince us. In this, this very text, we see that John sees another beast, verse 11. And this one starts out looking pretty good, like a lamb, in fact. But it's ultimately wicked, like a dragon, Right, and I saw another beast, verse 11. It had two horns like a lamb. Wouldn't that just be nice if that's how it finished? Oh, it's kind of like a lamb. No, but it spoke like a dragon. For those who see the first beast as a specific antichrist, they typically see the second beast as a false prophet that arises from within the church to encourage and even require allegiance to the Antichrist. Many understand that the first beast is the anti-Christian government, and so the second is anti-Christian religious, economic, and social systems. In the past, there was a constant overlap between culture and government and the worship of false gods. This was all the time. But I want to be clear, in the present, there are still false gods in this world, including the false god of secularism surrounding us, where success and money are the key to your satisfaction. Most of us, uh, most of us, I would, I would guess, don't have little idols in our windowsill that we bow down to, sing songs to, or 
burn incense to. Most of us in this room, but we have a tendency to to worship success. What, what would be deemed success in the world? So what does this beast do? Or these beasts, the, he massacres all who refuse him. I found these, these two points from another preacher and they I would just crafted well. He says, he massacres all who refuse him. There, there will always be a price to pay for those who do not worship the idols of this world. Life is not easy for those going against the world. Hear me. I know I said that there's hope, but I, I want to be clear. I don't, I don't want to try to make this all like fluffy clouds and rainbows or whatever. Like following Christ is hard. Like looking different than the world is difficult. It's, it's, it's frowned upon. He, while he massacres all who refuse him, he marks all who follow him. Right? This is where we see the, the number 666. It's all kinds of interpretations from tattoos to computer chips. But let us not get caught up in the unknowns. What we do know is that as we see the significance of numbers throughout this book, numbers like 144,000, 7, 4, 12, 10, these numbers, that some of them represent completion, and most significantly, that as a result, this number 6 represents incompletion, and that is on repeat. Like incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. Six, sit over and over and over. Just not, not complete, not perfect, insufficient. And the point is this, you either belong to Christ or to Satan. There is no in between. You cannot, therefore, like this is, this should be, I hope this is helpful to you. You cannot inadvertently take this mark. It's not accidentally happening to you. you. You take it because you're rejecting Christ. That's, that's what's taking place here. This, this is what that picture is. So, so take heart that, that whatever has happened, like if something's happening to you, it, like it's, like you don't accidentally do this. So, so hear this. Choose Jesus right now. Don't, don't wait until maybe you have to look and decide whether or not you're taking such a mark. Oh, choose Jesus right now. We just heard that testimony in the, in the next hour when, uh, when Avery is, is baptized. She's displaying to us a very different mark. She's saying publicly, I am Christ's. I am, I'm a child of the King. You do that today. Turn away from your sin and yourself and your stuff and your desire for success, your desire for more money, your desire for more fame or popularity or whatever it is. Turn away from all of that and trust in Jesus. And say, he's all. 
So let's, let's move past some of this talk of Satan and let's consider the work of the people. First, saints adore and praise the Lamb. That's what people of God do, saints. Remember Revelation 7, we've been reading that, but remember when there are 144,000 gathered and proclaimed that salvation belongs to God and to the Lamb? Here, they are again singing as the redeemed in chapter 14. Verse 4 reminds us to stay the course, not falling to the ways of the world. For it is not those who have gone astray, but instead it is those who have clung to the commandments. Listen, listen to these verses. For chapter 14, verse 4 and 5. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Hear this, church. It will be costly, but it will be worth it. Even if you are physically persecuted, I think about today, we're uh, uh, in life groups, we're gonna be praying for the, uh, the country of Chad, I believe, and there are people being persecuted physically in Chad. But hold fast. Even when the supernatural battle affects your natural life, hold fast. Stand strong. Even if you lose your job, your money, your status, your family, don't lose your faith. Revelation 13. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone has to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain, slain with the sword. Here is the call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Love that in, in uh, verse 5 of chapter 14. In their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. May this be said of us, church. See, you might not participate in the things that your friends participate in, presently, but they, not, they may not get to participate with you for all eternity. Saints adore and praise the Lamb, and saints admire and fear the Lord. This is what we do. We admire Him. We fear Him. We tremble before Him. Believers worship the Lord and His judgments because we believe His judgments are right. Chapter 14, verse 7. He said with a loud voice, Fear God. Give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Believers worship the Lord and his judgments, and believers despise the world and her immorality, right? If we love all that the Lord has to offer, we will hate all that the world has to give. Verse eight, another angel, a second followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. 
To be clear, this is not saying wine is of Babylon. What this is saying is that for those who engage in the passions of this world, and specifically in sexual immorality, there that is so free, expected, and even celebrated in our secular culture, you will not only drink the cup of those passions, but ultimately you will drink the cup of the wrath of God. When we, when we start to celebrate the things that are clearly marked as sin, so wake up. If you are you're engaging in pornography, sleeping around, flirtatious office romances, flaunting your body, focusing on material possessions, selfish pursuits of this world. But so just be warned. All of this leads to the wrath of God. But brothers and sisters, if you are hearing And listening carefully, Revelation 14, 12 tells you to endure and hold fast to the truth. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Hold fast because sinners bring expected agonizing abomination. The last part of chapter 14. Then I looked, another one of those, right? I saw, I looked, and behold, a white cloud seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap. The hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven. He too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grapes, the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the grape, great winepress of the wrath of God. Winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. No matter what all you think you might have gathered there, know this, that the judgment of God is inevitable and intense. It's a pretty graphic thought, though, isn't it? Smashing like a tiny grape. This is what happens to those who've offended a perfectly holy, righteous, always good, never doing wrong God. And truth is, Every one of us deserve it. You might think, 
I'm not that bad, man. I'm really not. I mean, like, I might, I might have done some things, but I'm not that bad. And at first, my initial statement would want to be to agree with you. Say in comparison to other people in the world, I haven't done that many bad things. But, but it all comes down to who we are offending. Right? I know I've shared this before, but, but there is a difference between when, if you were to slap me in the face, it would be a different punishment if you slapped the Queen of England in the face. Right? It's not has nothing to do with the slap. Nothing to do with, with how, how hard you hit. It's who you slap. And certainly the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, creator and sustainer of the universe, when you offend him, you deserve a very different punishment. So sinners bring expected, agonizing pain. But aren't you glad there's a but there? Saints, those who are followers of Christ, saints are amazed and all inspired by the Almighty. Because when we know of this King of Kings and Lord of Lords, creator and sustainer of the universe, this one, we are taken back. Because we have surrendered ourselves to him and said, whatever it is you want us to do, we will do. We are, our obedience changes. What we do, the way that we speak, the, the way that we give, the way that we offer ourselves, the way that we serve, it to, everything about us changes. And, and it's because we're in complete awe of the fact that he not only came, lived, and died, but that he did it for us. Here, even, even before we read it in chapter 15, listen to Exodus 15. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. This is right after they crossed the Red Sea. Remember when I said like, every point of this is, is not just that they escaped, but that Satan lost. Jesus won. The Lord is my strength and my song has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. My father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? The Lord will reign forever and ever and ever. You, yes, amen. Like, this isn't, this is, like, your battle has already been won by Christ. Whatever, what you're fighting, but, but, but hear me, you must surrender to him. And, and you're just fighting an endless losing war when you try to do it without him. But look, look then to chapter 15. And it says, verse three, 
that they sing the song of Moses. What was that song of Moses? Before we even get there, they're echoing the very words of Exodus 15, right? Now, this is just a side note, but don't tell me that the Old Testament is not connected to the New. Verse, verse three, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb. Can you just imagine that, that these, these that are singing these words would have, would have just known of this harvest of the earth. They would have known of the sharp sickle. And they would look and say, great and amazing are your deeds. Oh, Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways. You were, you were just to pour out those judgments. You were right to do that. Oh, King of the nations. So who will not fear? Oh, Lord, who will not glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. You know what I fear on a day like today? I fear on a day like today that you would hear this sermon as one who is holding on to their own way you would just ignore it. And I, I can't yell loud enough. I can't, I can't do more than simply read the word to you. I, I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I can't convict you of sin and, and, and you have to turn. So I'm, I'm doing everything that I know and I'm pleading with you. Here is a warning. Turn away from your sin and yourself and trust in Jesus. Like literally right where you sit, you can pray to God, asking for forgiveness for your sin and telling him that you will do whatever he says from here on out. And if you are his child, my fear is that because we are his child, that we would look around and say, well, sickle's not coming for us, so we can do whatever. May, that grace might abound. Oh, church, let us be a people who are in awe and in amazement at his grace, that we would sing of his praise and proclaim his greatness to all those who have never heard. May it stir in us a level of obedience that causes us to press through when hope seems lost. May we press on holding fast to what we know to be true, found only in the truth of Christ. So might, might we all join in worshiping him this way, giving him the glory that he most certainly deserves. If you've got questions or maybe whether whether you are a believer or you are not and you you have heavy burdens we want to 
be available to pray with you and talk with you. So even to my left, there will be some that, that are here to hear and talk and pray. But no matter what the case, respond to the Lord as he is leading you to. Would you stand with me as we respond together to him?